Hello and welcome to Talk Julia. My name is David Amos. And my name is Randy Davila. Randy, this is a very exciting episode. We have our very first guest, Logan Kilpatrick. Logan, thanks so much for joining us. I'm really excited about this. Thank you both for having me. Absolutely. So, Logan, I see you all over the place on Twitter, and I've I've seen I've I've been to a couple like the Twitter Spaces that you've hosted, and uh, I see you writing on on Medium. Uh, yeah, that like when I do like when I do research for our episodes, I come across Logan's posts all the time, <laughs> <laughs> so many times. Like I think like you're the predominant like person that I, I come across. So, just have to put that out there. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about what it is that you. You do because you you work for uh, is it Julia like the Julia Language Organization or Julia Computing or, or what is it that you do for the Julia community? Yeah, no, this is a great question. I, I think it's honestly um, it's something that folks are always asking just because sometimes the relationship between some of the companies and organizations is a, is a little bit. Uh, less than clear. And uh, we do have a governance page on the Juliet website. So hopefully it helps clarify if folks are digging around, but it's sort of hard to find. So I, I technically work for the Julia project, which is a legal entity associated with NumFocus. So it's a NumFocus sponsored project. Um, so all the financials and legal infrastructure are handled through NumFocus. Um, and then obviously work very closely with a lot of the folks at Julia Computing just because they have a vested interest in the success of the Julia project. But I don't, I don't work for Julia Computing, um, specifically working on the Julia project. Gotcha. And how long have you been doing that for? Yeah, that's a... A good question. So I started sort of officially in this position um, originally as the originally came on to actually just help with sort of educational resources. So I had emailed uh, Viral and uh, Vic and, you know, really that's what I wanted to sort of help out with. And then, um, you know, probably two or three months into that that process back in January of 2020, uh, Veral reached out to me and was like, hey, we have this community manager title that, uh, you know, we used to give to somebody and no one has that title anymore. Like, do you want to be the community manager? And I was like, naively said yes and didn't really <laughs> understand what it entailed. And then as sort of as soon as I took that sort of title, the work and scope of everything that I was doing sort of changed. Then it just became very much like you know, everything that the project needs is really what I end up helping out with. So it's really expanded over the last uh, two years to be, you know, Julia Con stuff to outreach initiatives to partnership initiatives with companies like helping get Julia on, you know, W3 schools and LinkedIn learning and all these other platforms. Um, so it's it's super and like running Google Summer of Code, Google Season of Docs, like it's it's all over the place, which I think is what's so fun for me is that it's really not like there's not a lot of focus in like one specific area. So it's, you know, I can sort of run around with my head cut off, write articles, speak at events, do all types of stuff. So it's a ton of fun. I, I actually love it. It's awesome. So that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> there's so many <laughs> things that you're doing. And you just mentioned right before we, we started recording, you're in a master's program right now? Yes, two master's programs, technically. So, okay, so that's even more <laughs> ridiculous. Um, <laughs> what are those programs? <clears throat> I'm just curious myself. Yeah, so I'm at Harvard. I'm doing a uh, master's degree with a focus in digital media design, specifically focusing within the area of educational technology. So learning how to create better educational content, technology, all that sorts of stuff, which dovetails perfectly with uh, a lot of the stuff that I do in the Julia community. And then independent of that, I'm also a graduate student at Northwestern's University uh, Pritzker School of Law, and I'm just doing a master of law there. Um, focus on intellectual property. So again, very much interested. It, it, it dovetails perfectly. <laughs> it, it sounds all over the place, but it, it makes perfect sense in the context of open source and there's tons yeah. of legal implications and all that sort of stuff. So it that, that's the sort of focus of a lot of the work that I, that I do, but it is sort of uh, seems a little bit weird at first. It's very impressive. Thank you. I do you ever sleep? <laughs> I do sleep eight hours every night like a baby. It's awesome. That's great. Um, speaking of uh, like of educational content, um, how do you feel about these Pluto notebooks that I've started to love? Like, do you use them at all, or have you not gotten there yet, or you don't really care? It's either way; it doesn't matter. You know what? I I have a tremendous amount of uh, respect, and I encourage sort of all those folks who are working on Pluto. I think that I think uh, 
Fonz and, and co are, are doing an incredible job of building something from the ground up. I personally haven't sort of uh, gotten the, the itch yet to start using Pluto notebooks. Like to me, again, what would be the most valuable is sort of having reactive notebooks sort of in conjunction with the traditional notebook where you can sort of go through it step by step. Because yeah. again, for educational content, I can see so many use cases where you want to go through step by step by step and not sort of show what the output and things like that are going to be necessarily. Um, so I, I'll, I'll probably get there. I'm sure I'll be convinced at some point, but I, I do think it's it's amazing that they've built something that will hopefully someday rival sort of the scale and, and scope of, of Jupiter, which is this massive ecosystem. Right, right. So you mentioned like how you kind of got started or how you kind of came into working for the Julia project. Uh, were you using Julia before that? Yeah. So the thing that actually got me into using Julia was the when I originally started interning and, and contracting at NASA, the team that I joined just happened to be using Julia. So uh, there was no sort of intention on my point to join this team because of Julia or anything. So I joined, the code base was all in Julia, and this was before the 1.0 release. So wow, I had okay. the chance to help yeah, rewrite some of the code from 0.6 to 0.7 and then ultimately to 1.0, which sort of forced me to get into open source and yeah. get involved with asking questions. And then that ultimately led to me actually contributing to the community and things like that. That's so awesome. I remember 0.6 was like my first um, Julia download was 0.6, right? And that's where yeah. I started. <laughs> so it's kind of cool to hear you like say that like you were part of like kind of changing things in in. Yeah, it's just awesome. Yeah, so I'm I'm the Julia baby here. My first Julia download is 1.7. So, <laughs> oh wow, that's awesome though. I mean, 1.7, you didn't have to rewrite any of your code, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah. So, what what team was it that you were working with at, at NASA? Yeah, so I was working at the NASA Ames Research Center in in Mountain View, California, and the specific team was the I think it was part of the it's called the Intelligent Systems Group, and they used. Julia and POMDP's partially observable Markov decision processes to actually model real-world uh, rover environments. So specifically, we're okay. uh, creating a bunch of lunar traverses for the upcoming NASA Viper mission um, in 2024. So we actually built this decision-making software to help optimize the lunar traverses, and they actually created this optimized traverse that they're actually going to use for the lunar rover mission in 2024 which is super crazy that is um, very cool so yeah like traditionally the experts at nasa would like sit in a room and they'd have like maps out and they'd sort of just like draw out what they thought was the right thing and then try to like make sure that that was right and it really was not like a very data-driven approach so this software that um uh, that the that we built and then in conjunction with a bunch of the folks at uh, Stanford's um, I forgot CISL I forgot what the acronym stands for intelligent something intelligent systems at Stanford um, Michael Kirkendurfer and a bunch of folks there built up a bunch of amazing software which we use to do a lot of the the sort of heavy lifting for the decision making. I had no idea that that Julia was being used that early on for these types of things. Yeah, it's crazy to me that they that the group at Stanford really sort of made that decision early on, because like when we started and I, I joined this project at NASA and they had already been going for like at least a year, a year and a half, maybe. And this was in uh, late 2016, I think, or something like that. So they must have been using it from like 0 0.4, 0 0.3, something like that. I don't know for sure. But so that that group at Stanford really sort of committed to using Julia for POMDP stuff. And it became sort of the, now if you want to do POMDP stuff and you're looking for the state of the art, all of that work is in Julia. All the state of the art tools are written in Julia because they made that bet on Julia so early on. That's really amazing. It's actually kind of shocking to me just knowing kind of the way, you know, those these are like mission critical kind of applications. That's putting a lot of trust into a really new and rapidly changing, I would imagine at that point, it was, you know, <laughs> very rapidly I will changing. Say it, it took a long time. Like I think to get to the point where, and obviously I, I didn't do a lot of this heavy lifting. I think the folks that I worked with at NASA were incredible and they sort of went through this long process of sort of just even like trying to convince other people at NASA that it made sense to use a system that would sort of automatically reason and sort of make these decisions 
both in real time and ahead of time. Um, so I think it's a lot of uh, a lot of credit to them for sort of lobbying this effort over the last you know three, four, five years, whatever it is. It's interesting to me um, that like so your solution basically or like the solution that that, that came about was like a data centered solution and not like this manual thing that you were mentioning earlier. And it's, it's interesting how so many things around us are doing that, like, and have been doing that. It's starting around like 2015 or so is when I really noticed the data science and like the use of data was like really kind of blossoming. So it's a, just another interesting story to think about. Like if you're a data scientist, which I kind of call myself that not, I'm more of a mathematician, but I, sometimes data scientists, I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, now he's you're teaching so much data science stuff now for where you're, where you're yeah. working. So, <clears throat> yeah, that's that's a really cool story. I had not heard that, and I wasn't aware. You know, so I I come from a, a Python background. I'm using Python for a long time, and you hear a lot of stories of you know Python being used in uh, at NASA and in you know astronomy and astrophysics and things like that. And while I'm you know I knew that sh sure there were people using it it's really that's a really great story i the getting those i we need to maybe document that or something maybe well maybe this is serving as documentation for for that story but you know because those are the kinds of things that i think really inspire people to you know hear about that um and and, and then also you know go check check out wow it's being used for this amazing kind of otherworldly kind of <laughs> kind of thing right yeah there's probably a lot of other super interesting use cases out there just like this and i totally agree with you like my my mentor and my my boss at nasa like i don't think he is going to give a julia con talk anytime soon to like share about this work which which sucks because i think he's incredible and the team's done incredible work but um i, I think that there's so many other people who are probably out there who are like him who have done this awesome stuff using julia and they just haven't shared it for whatever reason which you know, makes total sense for whatever reason, but yeah, um, yeah, I totally agree. I wish more people would share those those interesting use cases that they've been working on. Yeah, so I saw recently, uh, kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, that you so you were previously working at Apple as as well. Yes. You had a position until at Apple yesterday. until yesterday. Okay, <laughs> and and I just happened because right before we started recording, I, I was looking at your Twitter Twitter bio just to kind of make sure I remembered some you know some things about you and <laughs> didn't look like a fool <laughs> but uh um now you're working you started a new position with path ai is that the the new position you've started are you getting a chance the... to use julia there at all or yeah so that that role at path ai is you know a portion of that will be me continuing to be sort of a machine learning engineer but really the focus is on machine learning and open source advocacy so getting path ai's machine learning um the, the work that they're doing in the machine learning space out, you know, into the ML ecosystem, into the open source ecosystem, making sure we're contributing the right places so that, um, you know, Path AI is strategic, strategically positioned, things like that. So it, it's not uh, a role where I'll be sort of directly, uh, you know, forcing engineers to use Julia necessarily. <laughs> Obviously, I'm always going to continue to advocate for that. Yeah. Um, but it, it is not like a, a, a super Julia focused role. I think that there'll be a prime candidate for using Julia. Um, but it's it's not necessarily, you know, specifically why I'm there. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I, so I, I do a lot of freelance programming. And I, I've been doing that for um, uh, several months now since I left my previous uh, job at real Python, but, um, and, and that's, you know, I'm still using Python every, every day for that. And, you know, it can be, some of it is you've got systems out there, right. That it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm probably never going to rewrite those in Julia. Like, it's just, it wouldn't make, make sense. So I know it can be hard when you've got people that they've got, you know, a lot of time invested in these things. And, um, you know, it's a little bit easier maybe if you've got a new project that you can kind of start to, to bring that on. But, um, Speaking of, of Python, I think I read somewhere, I, I couldn't remember where I saw this. I think it was it maybe in one of your, one of an art, articles that I read that you wrote on Medium or something. You said you had experience with Django. Yeah. And so were you working with Python before you started working with, with Julia and, and, or did you kind of pick those up at yeah. the same time or you were, okay. So I'm just kind of curious yeah, so, like how that transition was yeah, for I, you. I think like you, you were, um, Asking a question very similar to what I was thinking. 
It's like, how did you get into programming? So, for example, I taught myself with YouTube. <laughs> but, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm very curious to, to know your progression from the beginning to where you're at now, where you're writing these, like, really awesome articles that help me, like, learn more about Julius. I'm just, I'm curious. No, that's a good question. So, I think I have a very sort of traditional, maybe traditional path into computer science. Like, I started off, um, actually started off at community college learning, like, C++, Java. Um, I took Python classes in community college. And and I think the first real applications that I worked on, my first internship was on a different team, actually, at NASA using Python. Um, so did a bunch of Python stuff there, then started at the team uh, at NASA using Julia, ultimately transitioned, left that team, went to Disney, did a bunch of C-sharp stuff, um, which was fun. I actually like C-sharp. I thought it was cool. Uh, and then left uh, left Disney, went back to Apple, and then at Apple for the last two years has been all uh, Python stuff. So, you know, I, I do all of this Julia stuff sort of almost in a lot of sense on the side of, you know, I, I still am sort of a daily user of Python at when I was working at Apple, and I anticipate it'll be the same thing um, at Pathia. Yeah. So it, I think it helps me to, like, just being more uh, in touch with with what people who are transitioning to Julia are actually experiencing. Like I think if I was sort of too deep in the Julia bubble, I'd sort of forget all the all the normal things that people who use Python or other languages have to deal with. Um, yeah, so I think I think it's been helpful in that sense. But that's the sort of the the programming language journey, at least for me thus far. <clears throat> I think I, yeah. um, I I think I can tell right like your articles help me more so than a lot of the other articles that I read. Maybe that's like my comprehension of things. I don't know. It's harder for me, I guess. But like your articles help me. And I think it's because you kind of write from that, that other programming language to Julia. Like, I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad that they help you. Honestly, I, I think that that's awesome. I, you know, it's, I, I see numbers as far as people who read my articles, but it's not, it's not always clear that, you know, it's actually helping somebody. So I'm, I'm happy that at least one person finds value from it. <laughs> yeah, I do for sure. Really, um, one of my biggest struggles is that I, I can't find enough resources on Julia, right? Or the, the resources that I find are so, like, I don't know the right word to describe it, just so technical that it's hard for me to to engage and learn it, right? And um, so when I do come across the various pieces, like your pieces and a few others that I can think of, that actually like engage me and it's not over overwhelming, it's it's needed. And there needs to be a lot more of that, I feel like, in the Julia community. Um, I agree 100%. I think that's – I'm actually in the same – position as you. I think as far as my, you know, I, I do all this Julia stuff and I think people who I work with or who don't know me and like see the actual work that I do think that I, you know, am the number one expert on Julia in the world. And that's just not the case. <laughs> and I actually think it's really helpful for me to not be that person. Like, you know, Chris Rakakis can, you know, do a, a billion things that I have no idea how to do, like programmatically using Julia. Um, but I, I really think that, you know, I'm again in the same exact boat as you, Randy, that you know, there are a bunch of resources that I look at and just have a really hard time sort of sifting through them. And and my goal is always whenever I'm making some piece of content is to make it as accessible as possible, because the lower that, you know, if, if we only make content for people who are at that really advanced level, then the Julia community will always continue to stay super niche. So there, there needs to be content to sort of bridge that gap to get people to the point where they can feel comfortable with that advanced content that's out there. Absolutely. That makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> Having you tell me that you're like in the same like it makes me feel a lot better because like sometimes I'm reading these articles and I have a PhD in math and I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, you know, and it'll, it'll, part of it is, you know, it just is going to take time for that kind of stuff to appear. Um, and, you know, as, as there's more of a need, there will probably be more people that step up and, and start to produce some of that uh, kind of content. But yeah, really, you do need that a wide range of, of content. And, and in a lot of ways, uh, and, and I, I say this from experience of someone who is an advanced Python programmer, writing beginner content can actually be much more difficult than writing 
advanced content because there are so many other things that you have to think about. Um, it's not just about the the you know the code. It's about the you know having empathy for your reader and thinking about what sort of questions are going through their mind and where are they going to get stuck and trying to anticipate all that. So it's uh, writing beginner level content that is good is very difficult. So I appreciate the effort you've put into making the articles you've written as accessible as possible. And, and um, yeah, hopefully we'll see more, more and more of that come out as, as uh, Julia, I, I, I'm convinced at this point that Julia is just on a path upwards and um, in adoption. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll see, hopefully we'll see more of that come out so more people can get into it. So Logan, you mentioned earlier something about um, a new project called forum. Could you, Talk some about that. Yeah, totally. So it, it's a really interesting project. So Forum is actually the open source project which powers a website called dev.to. So dev.to is yeah. like this massive, yeah, it's like a platform uh, for developers to go on and share content and things like that. Um, so Forum is the open source project and they've actually sort of very much in like a, in a discourse sort of like fashion, you can basically create your own forum and have this sort of platform where you can go and create content about some very specific uh, programming community. So the the Julia project is actually has a, a forum instance sort of in the works right now. And we think that it could be the, the thing to sort of help propel going back to our conversation about, you know, creating educational content that's sort of at an entry level, accessible level. And hopefully yeah. this platform sort of reinforces the idea that we need this content. You should create this content and share it. Like, I also think one of the other challenges that we didn't talk about was there's probably a lot of great content out there. It's just hard to find. Like, I don't know yeah. who all the people are who have written the content. And like, unless it's the first thing that shows up in Google, like I'm never going to find it. So having right. sort of a centralized community platform to both write content, post content, share content is really cool. And it has all the sort of features that you would want in a, in a community forum. So I'm really excited and I think it'll be a nice supplement to platforms like discourse and, you know, all the other community tools that we have available to us right yeah, now so far. Absolutely. So I didn't realize that's the forum you were talking about. I am familiar with, with that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've used dev.to and, uh, I think that's great. That is a really good platform because it is sort of like you can almost sort of blog on it. But then you can also yeah. kind of use it as a discussion forum. And yeah, it's got like sort of this multi many different kind of use cases that uh, all sort of work seamlessly together. So that that's fantastic. I think that's awesome. Uh, yeah, one I've of never the, heard of it before. <laughs> it's really popular. I think that the Twitter, it all started with a guy who made this platform like for himself, actually. And like there's a Twitter account and all this stuff. And it was originally just him. And they, they basically spun this platform out into an open source company, which is super, super cool. So I, I've chatted with them a bunch over the last, you know, three months trying to get this all set up and situated. And it's, uh, it'll be really cool. And, and just to go back to one other point of why I'm so excited about this, the other piece too that, that you mentioned, David, is like the, a lot of people like write things right now, but you know, maybe it's on their personal blog, maybe it's like in this other place. And a lot of those platforms actually don't have a way to have a discussion. Like I can read right. your blog post, maybe it shows up on Julia bloggers, but like, I, I don't, I can't interact with it except on Twitter or somewhere else. So it'll be nice again to have somewhere where people can share their content and we can actually have a discussion about it and have that sort of interaction. So I'm, I'm excited about that aspect as well. Yeah, very cool. And I know that, you know, with like, being able to make comments and everything and have that discussion, you know, there's this like this discuss tool that you can put like on a website and everything. But I know that, uh, so I have that on my own website just cause it was so easy to integrate, but it also really bothers me that like, I don't, all that data, all those comments, like I don't have any of that. That's all on someone else's server somewhere, you know? So yeah, with, with uh, forum, I think you get, cause you're running, you'll be running like your own instance. You'll have all that, you know, it's not subject to someone else and, and could, you know, get lost or something like that. So it gives you a lot more control over that aspect of it. Um, I think that's fantastic. That that's super cool. So, um, any yeah, idea on, 
on like the timeline <laughs> for that or um I, I think so we just signed like the agreement within the last uh, couple of weeks so we we have hopefully some onboarding in the next couple of months or in the next few weeks for me to get everything set up and ready to go and then hopefully an announcement official announcement not this uh, behind the scenes announcement uh, <laughs> and, and hopefully the next uh, two three four weeks it just depends on uh, yeah. bandwidth on, on my part and other folks awesome I really like this dev.to thing by the way I just I was looking at it in the first article I see or first like thread or whatever docker explained to a five-year-old and I'm like yes <laughs> yeah there's all sorts of stuff on there that people post about pretty much everything. The other cool part too is there. there's a lot of really awesome integrations back to the dev community. So dev has like a million plus users or something like that. Yeah. So it would be nice like the Julia forum instance will be like promoted and shown to, you know, this huge group of folks who might not know what Julia is yet. Um, mm -hmm. So it'll be really cool to have that be sort of a one of the initial users of your use cases for a forum. So I'm excited yeah. for that as well. Lots of excitement. Yeah, that is that's awesome. Actually, speaking of you know people not knowing about Julia, I kind of had a question about some maybe some if you've noticed anything about um, things changing or some different uh, different kinds of users coming to Julia. So I, in my experience, the people that I've talked to, and now through doing this podcast, I've kind of um, I've gotten the chance to meet mainly on Twitter. You know, lots of people that are plugged into the Julia community. Uh, and then also have people that have found us on YouTube that are kind of like, I'm just getting started with Julia. I, you know, I don't know anything about it. This is, this is great. They're kind of my sense is that a lot of people sort of have this feeling of like, oh, Julia, that's either like, they just don't know what it is or they, like they've heard the name and like, I don't know much about it or that it's like strictly kind of like a scientific language. Um, and I've, I noticed, you know, you've written now a couple of different articles about Julia for data science. Are you noticing that there's more people in the data science world that are kind of having their interest peaked by Julia and starting to explore that? Or or what, what have you noticed anything about that? Or what can you say about that? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think there there definitely are. I think as far as I, you said it correctly. I think it's a lot of interest being peaked. I, I don't know if there's, you know, folks are sort of jumping away from their Python, you know, trusty Python workflows and, and right away switching to Julia. But I think there's a lot of people who are at least hearing things and they're interested in learning more. And again, for for me and, and for other people in the community, it the focus right now is about, you know, if someone is coming to take a look, like what, how can we put our best foot forward? How can we, you know, make sure the, the right resources are in place so that, if they do want to make that jump, uh, you know, we have the tools and it's not a scary transition, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's hard to say whether or not that's a huge group of people. Like, I think there's just so many, you know, there's so many question marks as far as all the metrics go and like yeah. where folks are actually coming from. But I do think that the point you mentioned about people thinking that Julia is a scientific programming language which it is, but it's also, there's these, there's this inherent tension between, you know, obviously we want Julia to be really big and we want lots of people to benefit from the value that the language provides. Um, but then there's also this need to continue to focus on the people who are actually using Julia to do sure. stuff, which tends to be people in the scientific domain. And again, it's this tension for, again, for me, I'm always trying to push Julia into new spaces where it's not being talked about and it's not being used um, extensively. Like web development is something that I've been looking at recently and no one really uses Julia for web development outside of the Genie community. But um, I think going back, we were talking about Django for a, a brief moment and I think Genie could be a great sort of uh, filler for not having Django, which is an amazing open source project. Yeah. Um, so there, yeah, there's, there's so many opportunities, but I, I do think that it's, it's so hard to walk the fine line of that tension between Julia is in general purpose programming language can be used for anything, but also right now at the present moment is mostly being used for scientific stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and I would imagine too, it's hard, you know, cause I think about Python's own history and certainly when Python was created, no one ever, I don't think like Guido Van Rossum sat down and thought, 
I bet people are going to be using this to study black holes in, you know, 20 years or something. It, like, I can't imagine that was something that was going through his head. Like, that wasn't a use case he had in mind. So it's, you know, it's hard to, well, it's impossible to predict the future and know, like, where Julia 20 years from now would will, will be and what it's being used for and everything, right? So, um, but but I do wonder, like, wh what are, what do you think some of the, the barriers are right now? Is it mainly just a kind of a lack of content or what what do you think for for new people that are coming or or might have their interest peaked in uh, I mean I can think of some technical barriers of like well I can't use it because everyone else at my job is using python or using c++ or whatever and it's like well okay you're, you can't make that decision but um but yeah what what do you think some of the big barriers besides that kind of stuff is I think that honestly probably captures a majority like even for me right now it's like you know why would i not try to really you know um earhole everybody that i worked with at apple into using julia for all of the machine learning work that we're doing well the reality is is that you know we have all this infrastructure internally yeah. that's built around python stuff and things like that so it's a huge i, I think that's a huge reason um the other piece too is i i always tell people you know, the folks who are making the transition to Julia, for the most part, and, and this obviously isn't true in all cases, are people who are at the limit of what their other tools can actually do. Someone mm -hmm. who's trying to do, you know, black hole stuff and, you know, the computational resources necessary to do that, it, it just takes too long to do in Python. And I think for my team that I was on at NASA, that was the case. If we wanted to do all the same simulation stuff, our, sim our simulations in Julia sometimes took an entire day. Yeah. So if we wanted to do them in Python, it would have been like four or five days, which just isn't practical to actually run. Um, so a, a lot of folks are those people in those situations where things are taking too long, they don't have the bandwidth, and they're just sitting there waiting for something to finish running. They're like, okay, well, now I can go and invest the time to learn this tool. Um, right. So I think that's a huge piece of the market. And then to go back to the, the point on, on resources, again, I, I really do think that we're probably two years away from having just a really robust set of tutorials and, and things like that out there where, again, we're, we're sort of covered on all the major websites that have educational content, things like that. So um, I'm, I'm, again, excited to see Hopefully, I don't have to do all that work. Hopefully, there's other folks who are interested in helping out with that. But <laughs> yeah, but you. you know what? If it ends up being me having to do it all, I think that's fine. I'm happy with that. Um, ultimately, in the end of hopefully getting more people interested in this ecosystem who will eventually create some of these resources. So, yeah. may I, I want to ask you a question um, related to like my position. So... I teach data science machine learning courses at uh, two universities, Rice University and uh, U of H downtown, Univer University of Houston downtown. And um, I do have like the choice to pick between languages, right? Now with that choice, I at, like in one of our episodes, we even talked about this a little bit that like I would feel, I would give my students like a disservice if I did not show them like TensorFlow and Scikit-learn and these types of things in Python. However, it's just so much more natural to program a lot of the algorithms from scratch in Julia, um, with the exception of support vector machines. Those are kind of difficult, but like whatever. Um, so like from your standpoint, like as someone that's trying to spread the word about Julia, what advice would you give to professors that are having the same type of, you know, conundrum that I'm in? I want to use it because it, it feels right, but uh, if they go out into industry, like, will they be like bad off? I don't know. I, so I just I wanted to ask your opinion. Yeah, this and you know, obviously, I'm I'm super biased. In this. <laughs> I think I, I oftentimes approach it again from the student's perspective, as far as you know, what would the value add be for somebody who learns Julia uh, potentially, like instead of Python in a class like the one that you're describing? And I think there's really the way that I see it is there's a ton of benefits to learning Julia in that context instead of Python. The nice part is if you learn a language like Julia, it, it inherently makes you different than everybody else who you're going to be competing with in a job and I've in a job interview. And I've actually had this experience uh, myself where I, I was interviewing for a job at, um, at Shopify. And during the interview process, I had the chance to sort of show the people who were interviewing me, like what Julia is, why you would want to use it. And I think that is such a different 
experience for the people who are interviewing you to, to be able to share something new that they didn't know before. And I think, again, from a student's perspective, if you have that skill set, um, it's it's a huge opportunity to stand out from everybody else. And of course, again, if you know how to program in Julia, it's not like Python is so crazy different that you're not yeah. going to know how to program in Python, too. So um, I think that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is trying to get students into the Julia ecosystem is a huge um, passion point for me because I think there's so much opportunity to do really impactful work. Like somebody could come and create some resource that, uh, you know, becomes the go-to learning resource in the Julia community and helps thousands and thousands of people learn the language for some specific, um, you know, machine learning concept. And it's just so much more unlikely that you're going to have that impact in the Python community just because of how broad and uh, saturated the ecosystem is. So I'm always trying to hammer home uh, points like that to students and then also to professors to say, you know, the opportunities for students are going to be greater if they have something that makes them different, if they've had real impact um, in a specific community. And ultimately, they're at school to get a job someday, probably. Um, so those two things are going to be huge in helping them get that job. That's um. That's it's it's related to something that um, <clears throat> to a meeting I had two no three days ago actually, um, where so there in most universities most like large universities there are like math education routes right for like math teachers to go into like K through twelve education, and I had a meeting with um, um, my um, like department chair like vice chair and she's trying to like incorporate programming languages into that so we, that's what we were talking about right and the first one i mentioned was julia as like the most natural way to like look at the textbook like the math book and just like do the thing and when like after thinking about it they decided on python but because <laughs> because um that's just like the language right in and it's it's kind of frustrating, but it, I, I understand it because I love Python as well. Like that's my main programming language as well. Um, it's just I don't know. Hopefully, over the next two three years, there's like I think like you're saying, like if those resources are there in the educators that are teaching the people that will be the educators of the, like K twelve education, like right, like if those resources are there, it'll be easier for professors to you know. Um, jump on the Julia bandwagon where they should be. I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a lot of folks who are making this transition. I see it all the time. I think there was, uh, I'm thinking of a of a woman who I saw recently who was doing a bunch of Fortran stuff, talking about it on Twitter. And she had said that, you know, she redid some of the code in Julia and, you know, what I forgot what the outcome of it was, but obviously it was positive and talked about how she's transitioning her classes and things like that. So folks are definitely making that transition, but I think it takes obviously in anything education specifically the status quo lives on for so long that right. um, it, it somebody has to go and, and shake it so that people make this make the jump take the step and i think it's a lot easier too when uh, what i've seen a lot is uh, universities where there's someone there who is a really strong julia advocate tends to be the catalyst for you know their department and all the folks that they collaborate with like slowly making this transition to julia so it really can be like one person uh and randy maybe it's you at the, at the <laughs> i know you're poking uh, at me right you're now <laughs> you're poking at me because I, like, I, I yeah i can i should i really should because i do feel so strongly about like using julia and i really enjoy it and um yeah the students like it too so the, the courses that I teach are typically at like the senior level um, at UVH downtown. And um, so they get to experience like R and Python. And for like years, I was the one teaching the machine learning course as like their senior level course, right? And um, for not years, no, yeah, like two years, I was using Julia. And they were just excited to like get to that third language because they'd been using Python and R the whole time. And they were just so curious about the the J and Jupyter Notebooks. Like that. Yeah, that's... That's actually an interesting point that a lot of I think maybe a lot of people don't know that that is what the like the Jew in Jupiter right stands for and uh, and maybe it's a little too ignored maybe we need to yeah just so start our listeners know, that more yeah just so our listeners know <laughs> Jupiter is Julia Python and R 
And it comes before the Python and the R, right? So that's <laughs> the first thing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a little poke right there. <laughs> well, um, I wanted to kind of wrap it up by talking about uh, JuliaCon, which is which is coming up. And so uh, this will be my first time getting to attend, and I'm I'm really really excited about it. And I you know I've seen videos from past years and and there's some you know obviously some really amazing stuff that people have presented there i'm wondering what are what are you most excited about for JuliaCon this this year i, I think the the thing for JuliaCon every year that gets me so excited is is just the chaotic energy of it like last <laughs> year was like absolute chaos of you know us uh, from an organizing side like getting everything sure. ready making sure that it's you know the posters are set up and and things going wrong and um it's tremendously taxing but also like it ends up being a ton of fun and for me like i never actually end up getting to watch at least for the last couple of years any of the julia Khan talks as they're happening i think yeah. bar a few uh just because I'm, I'm focusing on everything else um so it's nice to sort of conveniently afterwards like watch all as many talks as i can and things like that um but yeah i mean uh, it's a little sad that there won't be um sort of an official in-person julia con but i i am hopeful and we're definitely going to be pushing on um trying to get local meetup organizers to actually uh, assuming it's still safe to do so in mm. uh whatever the local area is like host a local version of julia con There'll definitely be something in Cambridge. Um, I'll probably be in the Bay Area still. Um, maybe, I could do that uh, at my university. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that was an awesome. option. I, I could definitely request uh, funds from my from my department, um, or even maybe even Rice would want to do it because that's where I learned about Julia was at Rice when I was a grad student back in 2012. Or, yeah. So um, no. Thank you for saying that. That's pretty awesome. I, I really want to look into that more. We'll, we'll have like an official post going out, hopefully in the next, I, I just have to find the time to do it in the <laughs> next couple of weeks, um, sort of soliciting folks who are interested in sort of hosting those local meetups. I think, again, it'll be a ton of fun and um, be a way to sort of bring back the Julia in-person meetups because I don't think that there's been uh, any bar I think the again the folks in Boston have been doing a bunch of stuff, but uh, that's just because there's so many Julia folks and they have MIT and all that stuff. So it'll be cool to get meetups outside of that area. Um, and and again, I'm I'm looking forward to attending because there's so many. I work so close closely with uh, so many folks in the Julia community who I never actually see in person. Um, so it's awesome to. Uh, like Viral, for example, the only time I've ever met Viral is I, I didn't actually meet him. We I walked past him. We were uh, <laughs> lived, I guess, in the same area in, in Cambridge. And I was on a walk with my little brother when I was living in Boston. And I walked past and I messaged him on Slack afterwards. I was like, hey, was that you walking around Fresh Pond in Cambridge? And he was like, yeah, it was. <laughs> so it, it'll be nice to meet and, and chat with so many folks who um, we all know virtually. So it'll be fun. I'm, I'm really excited. And the the proposal deadline is i was just looking uh before we started talking it looks like it's april 4th um yeah. for proposals so yeah get I'm those in every <laughs> um, yeah Ju julia Khan is like crazy uh i mean i don't not to put pressure on folks but it, it becomes more and more selective every year because there's just so many and we expand it like 2x every year and it still becomes more selective because yeah. there's so many awesome talks that people put in so um, definitely get those talks in early definitely share as much stuff as you can i think it's such an awesome time to and an awesome platform to be able to uh, talk about the cool julia stuff you're doing like yeah. i think a julia podcast episode could actually like just talking about the experience <laughs> of doing a julia podcast it could be something interesting i'm sure folks would would find that uh would find that relevant oh i've been working pretty hard on the thing that i'd like to submit a proposal on so I'm excited. I'm, I'm hoping to, to, to get a chance. David and I, maybe together, we'll <laughs> yeah, like hopefully, be able to talk about it. Fingers crossed. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. So, any any tips for people that are this is going to be the first year they're attending JulieCon? Any suggestions for them uh, while they're while they're there? Well, I know it's virtual, but you know while they're uh, attending, is there going to be like a community side of it where there's like a chat or something where people can interact or yeah so all the so there's so much different infrastructure for the conference that it actually gets a little bit confusing sometimes so there you know all the videos will technically be streaming through youtube mm -hmm. um 
So all pre-recorded, released on a time schedule on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then we have a conference website that was developed called live.juliacon.org. Uh, and from there, you can like, it'll just automatically play the next video and the next one's done cool. on time sequence. So it's really nice. Um, but that's for the actual watching of the videos. And then there's um, a... Uh, we're using Discord for the actual like real-time mm -hmm. chat, and then there'll be sort of synchronous uh, poster presentations and social events on GatherTown again, like last year. Cool. Um, so hopefully lots of opportunities to, and, and the advice I would give to folks is take advantage of those opportunities to actually meet people, yeah. talk to people, ask questions. Like that's the best way to sort of get a real pulse on who is in the Julia community and the cool work that people are doing. Like watching videos is cool and fun, but like it's definitely less enjoyable than going and actually talking to people who are at the conference. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually been my experience with, and it, it's kind of sad for, I don't mean to, you know, for people that actually present and this, I think this is, has more to do with like in-person conferences, but I know uh, I went to my first uh, PyCon, I guess it's been like four years now. And I had all, you know, I, I got the, the program and I was like, okay, I'm going to go watch this talk, watch this talk, watch this talk. And then like at the end of the conference, I was like, I missed like 90% of the talks that I wanted <laughs> to go to because I was just like in the hallway chatting with people Yeah, and it ended up like, that was actually a very meaningful part of the, the conference. So, um, and it, and it was kind of like, well, I can always go back and watch the YouTube video. So I guess I didn't really miss much. Of course it, it does kind of suck for like, you know you want to go support people that are <laughs> speaking and you don't want them to talk to an empty, empty room. But at the same time, yeah, that it, being able to meet and network and then just, just get to ask questions to people that otherwise you may not even have access to because they're just, they're either too busy or, uh, you know, have other things going on and they're, they're right there and able to, to interact with you. So yeah, I think that's great advice. That's, um, that's in my experience has been really the, the best and most la have lasting impact that I get from going to, to conferences. Um, and are there plans, are, are they looking to host it in person, like in the future? They, like they do, they want to get back to that, right? Is that something that they're going to try to do? Yeah. I, I actually think this, you know, last year's Julia Khan, we were talking at the end of the conference and we were like, in person next year for sure. We'll yeah. probably do it at MIT just because the, you know who knows what travel restrictions will be internationally. And then, um, especially now with you know what seems like the ninth wave of COVID coming, um, <laughs> it, it makes sense to to do things uh, online this year. But a hundred percent, I sure. think we we had a for twenty twenty we had a conference venue uh, lined up in Lisbon, Portugal, and I know that that's still um, at least my understanding is that's still an open door. So wow. it's just a question of whether. 2023 will be Lisbon or whether it'll be um, staying stateside, depending on who knows what the situation will be. I will, will go. Be. Wherever it's at, I will go. <laughs> I'm going too. I'm excited. I, I think it'll be fun to travel and, and sort of I, the downside to the virtual conferences, and I experienced this myself, is like you significantly less people actually like set aside the time of the conference. Like I'm multi, like I was yeah. doing my regular job, doing JuliaCon stuff, doing everything else. And when you're actually physically there, it's a lot easier to be like in the actual yeah. conference Just and like participating in, in everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's what I'm really excited for. And I think, you know, uh, Jared, uh, Revels who has done a bunch of Julia stuff in the past has like a, uh, a famous quote that a, a year's worth of uh, Julia development happens, you know, in one Julia con. And I think the virtual Julia con is probably like 0.6 years worth of Julia development. And the in-person one's probably like actually that full year. So it'll be nice to, to be back in person for that. For sure. Well, um, I think, I think we need to uh, kind of wrap this up and I have a couple of questions for you that, so you're the inaugural guest here on the talk Julia podcast. So these questions may change, but I, I, I was thinking a lot of the podcasts I listen to, they always have like, you know, a couple of questions yeah. they, they do at the end. And, uh, these are, um, the two I came up with, uh, I think they're pretty standard for the, but, uh, what code editor do you use when you write Julia? VS code. If you're not using VS code, <laughs> you're making a mistake. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's my favorite as well. And, uh, what's your favorite Julia package? That's interesting. <laughs> Slack.jl, which was the Slack wrapper uh. written in, just because it was the first Julia package that I ever wrote. So I feel a great deal of, okay. uh, and 
to find out that someone else in the world is actually using Slack.jl for their corporate Slack stuff. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of cool. I, I built it as a, a pet project, um, and I'm really happy that it actually helps somebody beyond just me with a bunch of the Slack integrations that I've done. So Awesome. That was it, really funny. Good, Both David and I have used Slack before, and our heads went like, like when you said Slack.jl, because we've, I haven't heard about that. I know David hasn't heard about it. I had not that package, no. That's awesome. It's not very good. Don't go look at it. It's really I'm, not. It's uh, pretty old. It up right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to share my screen so everyone on YouTube sees it. <laughs> well, Logan, thank you so much for, for joining us today. And um, it's just, it's been a blast uh, getting to, to meet you in, in uh, virtually in person. I guess if, if that makes sense, and um, and chat with us. So, yeah, I feel like I feel like I know you now. This is this is good, <laughs> right? Like I, I totally agree. I think it's uh, you know I there's so many people who I think before we had this conversation it was like it was are like you and that I like see all their stuff on Twitter and interact with them and stuff, but haven't actually had that face to face conversation. So it was super great to, to meet both of you. And, um, I'm really glad that you're doing this podcast. It was something that was on my ever growing to do list of at some point we need a Julia podcast. And I'm like, thank God that somebody did it, took that <laughs> responsibility away from me. So I appreciate both of you for the, the hard work of putting this together and you've done an incredible job so far. So I, I appreciate all the hard work. Thanks. Yeah. We've, we've just been blown away by the res I mean, this really was just sort of, I, I came to, so I guess before we, before I leave, I should just share kind of the backstory of this as, as I remember it, it's even though it was only two, like two months ago, it seems like forever ago now, but, um, I was having a, I went and had a, a chat with a, one of my old employers and, uh, just catching up. I hadn't seen each other in a long time. And he, this guy, he works in the wedding and events industry. He's like a CEO of this wedding venue in, in Houston and really wedding events group. They do all sorts of stuff. And uh, I used to do like a bunch of data analytics and stuff for him. And he came to me, we were just having a coffee and just chatting. And he said, you ever heard of a programming language called Julia? And I was like, if how, first of all, how do you know about Julia? Like, <laughs> you know, this guy's not a technical person, right? Like, and he's like, oh, I, like my my nephew's friend is starting to use it, or I don't know, forget who exactly it was. And then I thought to myself, like, holy cow! If if someone like this is already like, if they are somehow have become aware of Julia, like, I need to start, I need to start learning this because that's you know that's a sign. It was a sign to me anyway. So I went to Randy, who's been like, you know, trying to get me to use Julia for the last what like five years or something yeah, like it's that. Been a while. <laughs> I was like, Randy, I think I'm ready to start, start learning Julia. And, uh, and he was like, that's awesome. And, and we should, we should do something like public about it. And, and then, you know, we decided to start this podcast. It's just a way to kind of document that journey of, you know, him, uh, me learning it for the first time and Randy, uh, you know, Relearning helping it. me and, and, and relearning. It. Yeah. Cause he'd been, he'd kind of stopped using it in, in his teaching. He'd been using more Python and everything. And I, neither of us were really ready. It, it was just sort of like this happy accident, I guess, of like there was this huge desire and need <laughs> for something like that in the Julia community that it was literally on like, like we released this episode and on day two, it had like over a hundred, like a hundred, 150 downloads. And we picked up a bunch of, we were like, whoa, that was totally unexpected. <laughs> so... And then, you know, of course, then it's like, wow, I guess we need to take this seriously. So, yeah, <laughs> but no, uh, you, you've both done an incredible job. I think the best things in life are those happy accidents. And yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that it's <laughs> that it's working out well so far. It's I'm super excited. Yeah. Well, thanks again for for joining us and uh, and hanging out and talking Julia with us. Yeah, this has been awesome. <laughs> All right. See you.